Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. A missing wife, a murdered pensioner, and an executed best friend. Can one man really get away with murder three times? Well, Robert Durst may have very nearly done just that. Welcome to an all-new season of the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. This season, we dive into the most horrific unsolved murders in history. From the Black Dahlia murder to the unsolved murder of the Lady of the Dunes. Join us every Tuesday on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. As always, we thank you for listening. Welcome to an all-new episode of the True Crime Never Sweeps podcast. We're continuing our series, Shit Out of Luck. This week, we dive into the life and crimes of Robert Durst. First, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Poddex, for sponsoring this episode. Poddex are unique interview questions and episode starting prompts in the palm of your hand. So whether you're a new podcaster or existing broadcaster looking to grow your audience or get more engagement, you're going to want to check out poddex.com. Use code Larry21, that's L-A-R-R-Y-2-1, for 10% off your first order. Now let's get on with the show. Robert Durst was born on April 12, 1943, and grew up in Scarsdale, New York. His father, Seymour, was a real estate investor, and Robert grew up with three siblings, Douglas, Tommy, and sister Wendy. Robert's grandfather had started their real estate business after emigrating to the U.S. from Austria-Hungary in 1902. Durst organization was created in 1927, becoming one of the biggest and richest real estate companies in America. When Robert was seven, his mother Bernice died as a result of a fall from the family's home in Scarsdale. Robert would later claim that just before his mom died, his dad had walked into the win- to the window that he saw her standing on the roof before she jumped. This claim was heavily disputed by his brother Douglas. And in a 2015 New York Times interview, he denied that Robert had witnessed her death. Douglas and Robert had incredibly strong sibling rivalry from being very young, which carried on into their adulthood. Robert went on to Scarsdale High School, and classmates there described him as being somewhat of a loner. Despite this, he did quite well and went on to Lay University, where he got a bachelor's degree in economics in 1965. While he was at university, he became a member of the lacrosse team and the business manager for the student newspaper. Following his studies, he enrolled at UCLA on a doctoral program, but dropped out and returned to New York in 1969. 
It was during his time at UCLA that he met Susan Berman, who would become a longtime friend and confidant. In 1971, Robert met Kathleen Kathy McCormick. Kathy E. was 5'5 and 19 years old when they met. She was pretty with long blonde hair and brown eyes. She had a big smile and friendly face. Kathy was a medical student at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine in the Bronx with hopes of becoming a pediatrician. She is described by people who loved her as being spunky and driven and as genuine as she was beautiful. Kathy had strong values and wanted to become a doctor to help sick children. A friend and classmate of Kathleen's, Alan Strauss, said that when she first met Robert, he was cold and she didn't like him. Robert had opened a health food store in Vermont where he had a house and after just two dates, asked Kathy to move there with him, which she did in January 1972. Robert was under intense pressure from his family, with his dad pushing him to move back to New York to work in the family business. However, this is something that his brother Douglas again denies, but whatever the truth was, the pair moved back to Manhattan, where they got married on Robert's 30th birthday. Despite the relatively perfect life which the couple were embarking upon, their happy marriage would be relatively short-lived, with them separating in 1980. On January 31st, 1982, Kathy arrived unexpectedly at a dinner party, which was being thrown by her friend Gilbert Najimi. They noticed that Kathy was upset, and he found it strange that she was wearing red sweatpants to come to a party, when she would usually dress in designer clothes and have impeccable makeup. At one point in the evening, Kathy got a call from her husband, and so she left to go back to her house in South Salem. However, before she left, Kathy made her friend promise something which would shake her to the core in the weeks to come. Kathy told her, Gilbert, promise me if something happens to me, you'll check it out. I'm afraid of what Bobby might do. That was the last time that anyone other than Robert saw Kathy again. Robert told police that they argued that evening, and after this, Roe, he put her on a train to New York City at Katona Station. He then went to have a drink with a neighbor and states that he spoke with Kathy on the phone. When he phoned their Manhattan apartment later that evening, police asked the residents of the neighborhood cottages, and none of them saw Robert that evening. Kathy was supposed to be meeting Najami, whose party she had been at, in a pub called the Lion's Gate in Manhattan a few days later. When she didn't show up, they ran, rang the police repeatedly over the next few days to try and report her friend missing. Days later, Robert eventually filed a missing person report, too. A doorman and the building's superintendent at the Manhattan apartment claimed they saw Kathy on February 1st. This was the day after she was last seen by Najami. However, both witnesses only saw her from behind and from half a block away, so neither could be 100% sure that it had been her. In the late up to Kathy's disappearance, the durst, the strange marriage was starting to unravel. Three weeks prior to her going missing, Kathy had been treated at a Bronx hospital for facial bruising, and she confided in a friend that Robert beat her, but that she couldn't press charges over it. She instead asked Robert for a $250,000 divorce settlement. In response to this, Robert canceled her credit card, removed her from the joint bank account, and refused to pay any more of her medical school tuition fees. At the time Kathy went missing, Robert had been dating Prudence Farrow for three years and was living in a separate apartment. 
It was safe to say that their marriage was very much over. Ellen Strauss is not a lawyer. She had told press repeatedly that Kathy told her if something happens, Bob did it, don't let him get away with it. Around four months before Kathy went missing, she had climbed out of a 16th floor penthouse window in her pajamas to escape a violent fight with her husband. This was October 1981, and she scaled the building and began banging on a neighbor's window, telling them that Robert had beaten her and threatened to kill her with a gun, wanting her to sign away any right to the Durst family fortune. The neighbor confronted Robert and told him that he wasn't mad, he just wanted her to come home. Kathy had seen a divorce lawyer and had also told him that Robert had threatened to kill her. Robert denied all the abuse and said that she had been making this up in order to get more in the divorce. Just three weeks after she was reported missing by Robert, her possessions from her apartment in Manhattan were found in the trash. Robert had cleared out all of her stuff and thrown it out. When Kathy's sister and her friends found out that she had been reported missing, they went to the Durst country cottage hoping to find her hiding out there. Instead, they found it completely ransacked and her belongings thrown in a bin. Alan Straw started to collect things, notes, belongings, anything that looked like it might help, and handed it over to police. The last time Robert claims to have seen Kathy was when he put her on the 9.15 p.m. train to Manhattan. The last time he claims to have spoken with her was the call to the apartment in Manhattan on Riverside Drive. February 1982, Robert offered a $100,000 reward, but quickly reduced this down to just 15000 It seems as though he wasn't as bothered about finding Kathy as everyone else was. When asked by police if they could get his phone records to prove the call, he said that he had called from a public phone while he was walking the dog. Investigators were kind of skeptical as this, as when they checked, the nearest payphone was three miles away. And that night, it had been raining and it was really cold. Some reports say there was a snowstorm. Robert also told police that on February 4th, Kathy's supervisor at her medical school called Robert and told him that she had called in sick on February 1st and was then absent for the rest of the week. It's unclear if it was Kathy who made this call. It was following this call from the supervisor that Robert reported her missing. The police found Robert's story full of holes and contradictions. They couldn't figure out what had actually taken place. Trying to sift through the truth from the lies was proving incredibly difficult. Kathy's date of death is actually changed to be most likely the time of her disappearance in 1982, due to murder, instead of the previous determination in 1987 of, quote, missing person. In 1999, New York State Police quickly reopened the criminal investigation into her disappearance, searching Robert's former South Salem residence for the first time. Ellen Strauss, Kathy's friend and now lawyer, told police that she believed Susan Berman, Robert's longtime friend, knew more about Kathy's d- disappearance than she was letting on. And she told Westchester District Attorney's Office about her concerns. On Christmas Eve 2000, the body of Susan Berman, longtime friend of Robert's, was found murdered execution style with a bullet to the head in her home in Benedict Canyon in Los Angeles, California. She was estimated to have been dead for at least one day. Neighbors had called the police after they realized that her back door was open and her three dogs were on the loose. Susan was the daughter of David Berman, who was a reputed gangster. David had operated in the late 1940s 
out of the Flamingo Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. Susan was a smart, intense, and complex woman and was also the victim of many phobias, including riding in lifts and staying above the third floor of a hotel or building. Susan was a versatile writer in many genres, and she was a novelist, screenwriter, and journalist. Just a week before her death, Susan spoke with one of her closest friends, actress Kim Langford, saying, I have information that's going to blow the top off things. What do you mean, Kim asked. What information? Well, I don't have it myself, said Susan, but I know how to get it. Well, be careful, for God's sake, said Kim. Kim didn't know what information Susan was referring to, but in the wake of her brutal murder, the conversation felt ever more disturbing to her. Susan had been friends with Robert, and following Kathy's disappearance, Susan had facilitated Robert's public alibi. Miriam Barnes, a close friend of Susan's, would later testify against Robert, giving a statement which described a time Susan had told her, I did something today, and I did it for Bobby. If anything ever happens to me, Bobby did it. A few days after her body was found, Beverly Hills Police Department received a handwritten note which had a postmark date of December 23rd. The letter contained Susan's address in one word, cadaver. Robert was known to have been in Northern California just days before Berman was killed, and he flew from San Francisco to New York the night before Susan's body was found. Robert had recently given Susan $50,000 and paid her this in two payments. At the time, Robert confirmed to the LAPD that he had sent her money and he faxed investigators copies of her 1982 deposition regarding Kathleen. He then declined to be questioned any further about Susan's murder. In a 2005 deposition interview, Robert claimed that Susan called him shortly before her death to say that the LAPD wanted to talk to her about Kathleen's disappearance. On October 31st, 2000, Robert had been tipped off about the freshly opened investigation into his wife's disappearance and immediately began planning to disappear. He moved to Galveston, Texas and began living in a boarding house. He was in hiding and even went to the lengths of dressing as a mute and deaf woman in an effort to avoid police inquiries. Bruce had traveled and lived under dozens of aliases over the year and used different identities to buy cars, rent apartments, and open credit card accounts. He would make fake driving licenses and use private mailboxes to conduct business. On October 9, 2001, Durst was arrested in Galveston shortly after body parts belonging to his elderly neighbor, Morris Black, were found floating in Galveston Bay. He was released on $300,000 bail the next day. However, Robert didn't show up to court and a warrant was issued for his arrest. He was finally found on November 30th after being caught shoplifting despite having $500 cash in his pocket. Police seized his rental car and inside found $37,000 in cash, guns, marijuana, Morris Black's driver's license, and directions to Gilbert and Jamie's house in Connecticut. Robert was held by police and extradited back to Texas to face trial for the murder of Morris Black. In 2003, Durst stood trial and claimed self-defense. As his counsel tried to work with him, they struggled to communicate, and a hired psychiatrist diagnosed Durst as having Asperger's syndrome. The defense used this information at trial in an attempt to explain his behavior. Durst claimed that he and Black had argued and struggled for control of Durst's pistol after Black had grabbed it. 
and threatened him with it. Durst claimed that during the struggle, the gun went off, shooting Black in the face. During cross-examination, Durst shocked the court as he admitted to using a paring knife, two saws, and an axe to dismember Black's body before disposing of it in Galveston Bay. Due to investigators being unable to recover Black's head, the self-defense story was unable to be disputed, and prosecutors struggled to discount Durst's version of events. Due to this lack of forensics, Durst was acquitted of murder on November 11, 2003. He was, however, guilty of a crime and was sentenced to five years for bail jumping and evidence tampering. Credit with time served, Durst was required to serve just three years in prison and was released on parole in July 2005. Durst immediately broke the terms of his parole by revisiting the boarding house where Black was killed and so was returned to jail before being released again in 2006. A Los Angeles judge issued a murder warrant in relation to the death of Susan Berman and Robert was arrested by FBI agents on March 14, 2015 in New Orleans, where he was living under another false name. The agents discovered a 38 revolver, 5 ounces of marijuana, a birth certificate, passports, and multiple maps. Durst also had a latex, latex mask, a new mobile phone, and nearly $42,000 in cash. A UPS ticket led police to an additional $117,000 cash in which Durst had mailed to a friend in New York. In a little more than a month, Durst had withdrawn over $300,000 in cash from his bank. At a conditional hearing in February 2017, one of Durst's closest friends, Nick Chavin, testified that Robert had confessed to killing Susan. At an arraignment in November 2018, Robert pleaded not guilty. In January 2019, Robert's trial date was set for September of that year, and interestingly, it was decided that prosecutors would be allowed to present evidence from the Morris Black murder trial. The prosecution is expected to link Susan Berman's murder to the disappearance and suspected murder of Kathy, theorizing that Susan... A longtime friend of Robert knew the truth about what happened to Kathy and was willing to tell all. To keep it a secret, they claimed Robert murdered Susan in cold blood. Their evidence is linked to the cadaver note received by the LA police shortly after Susan's death. Other notes from Robert to Susan show the same handwriting. And when Robert was asked to identify his own writing over the cadaver note writing in the documentary The Jinx, Robert himself couldn't distinguish between the two. In an even more shocking scene, unaware he's still being recorded, Robert is caught saying to himself, What the hell did I do? Killed them all, of course, letting somebody see this as his confession to all three murders. Shockingly, on December 24, 2019, Robert, through his lawyers, contradicted all previous statements and filed court documents stating that Robert admitted to writing the note. He does, however, state that it simply means he knew a body was at the house and not that he killed Susan. There have been multiple delays to the trial commencing, most recently in March 2020, when the trial barely got started before being abruptly stopped due to the COVID-19 pandemic. 
And at the time of writing this, Robert is yet to stand trial. His trial is currently set, or was set for April 2021, but has been set to be rescheduled in the coming future. And that is all we have for this episode of Shit Out of Luck. Let us know your thoughts on this case. Do you think Robert Durst is guilty? Let us know your thoughts on Twitter at TrueCrimeNS or find us on Instagram at TrueCrimeNeverSleeps. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. Follow us on Twitter at TrueCrimeNS. Like us on Facebook at True Crime Never Sleeps. Send us a voice message at anchor.fm slash true crime never sleeps slash message. Tune in next week for an all new episode. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited-edition, ultra-low net-carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.